Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm. I'm Haley Tenpass, glad to be with you alongside our attorneys from Hurling Clark. Today joining us is attorneys Kelly Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Well, hi. Welcome back to the show. And we also today have with us uh, attorney Adam uh, Bernander. Hello to you, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Absolutely. And both Adam and Kelly are family law attorneys with Hurling Clark Law Firm. Are either of you outside on this glorious afternoon in Wisconsin? I was earlier just for a little bit. Uh, I'm not now. I'm actually at home holed up in my basement because my dogs uh, are wanting to share the airtime. <laughs> Well, it's that's a great segue, Kelly, because we are going to touch on pets today. And Adam, I understand you have a new furry friend uh, in, in your home as well. I do. He is cooperating right now, but there's a 10-month-old golden retriever puppy laying right behind me in a crate. He's got 25 toys in there at least and about 30 leaves, which he's a big fan of. <laughs> so I think that's going to keep him quiet. All right. Well, so if we hear any friendly barks, we will we will we'll allow it today. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go in the other room if he decides <laughs> that he's bored with all the toys I gave him. Yes, we love it. Well, we are actually talking pets today. We are going to talk pets and how they pertain to family law. Also going to switch things up in our second half hour and talk paternity issues. But before we start with either of those topics, I do want to ask, because we just heard one of those ads play for Hurling Clark, and we heard mentioned in that ad the super lawyers list. So I'm kind of curious what this means and what this accomplishment means. And maybe our listeners have been wondering too. So Kelly, can you fill us in here on what it means to make the super lawyers list? You know, yes, I can. And, and thank you for bringing that up because those of us at the office hear those commercials or see the ads and kind of go about our day. But for people that don't do what we do, they might not know exactly what that means. And so thank you for bringing some light to this. Essentially, what super lawyers is, uh, it's a selection process that involves peer nomination which, you know, fellow lawyers, independent research of the company, and then a peer evaluation. So that combination is put together, and then the top, I guess, highest point uh, totals are recognized as super lawyers. And so as our ad states, there are super lawyers, and then we have, which uh, we have a number of super lawyers at our office, uh, and then we have three attorneys that are in, I believe, the top 50, and then Kevin is in the top 10. And if you think about it, there are, I mean, at our firm, we have 15-ish lawyers alone, much less in this listening area or in the Fox Valley, the state of Wisconsin, there are hundreds and thousands of lawyers. And so the fact that each year our office is recognized for a number of the lawyers being on that super lawyers list is pretty cool. Um, I've had the good fortune of, of being 
nominated and on the super lawyer list, I think, and I'd be guessing here, but I think almost the past 15 plus years. So it is pretty neat. And it, it requires, you can't just self-nominate. I can't just vote for myself and I can't just vote for Adam or other people at my office. When you vote, you have to vote for an equal number of people outside of your office and an equal number of people inside of your office. So you're not just, you know, kind of rigging the ballot with people from your own office. And so it truly is something that is, uh, they, they take the peer nomination uh, really to heart. And so, yeah, it's a pretty neat thing and, and we're very proud of it. Well, thank you for explaining that for us and the listeners and congratulations to you and your colleagues uh, for those, for that accomplishment as well. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Well, we are talking family law today with Kelly and Adam, and we decided to come to the topic of pets for this first half hour of the show. Adam, why do you think pets is uh, an important thing to discuss in regards to family law? Um, Well, first of all, I think there's a lot of people consider their pets as part of their family. So it's obviously going to be a a really big issue that people are going to want to deal with and that will obviously people will care a lot about when they're, you know, trying to decide how, uh, how people's families are going to work in two households. So I think they're obviously really important. Um, So I think that's probably a big reason why they're definitely going to come up. Yeah. How frequent are you dealing with pets? And and Kelly, I know you mentioned that pets kind of have a specific title. Uh, They're kind of compared to it's property, right? It is. And, and, you know, on the outside, I mentioned I have dogs. I love just about any animals. And, and as I'm sure a lot of the listeners, you know, sometimes I like my dogs more more than I like, uh, you know, some humans because uh, <laughs> of their kindness and, and you know, unconditional love. Um, but having said that, when we're going through a family law case and sometimes the people involved are really entrenched in different issues and sometimes that can be a pet um in Wisconsin, pets are not family members. You don't have custody and placement of pets. Now, some people will choose to make those arrangements, but if it's up to the court, um, the, the phrase I tell people is that, you know, a dog is similar to a couch and in that it's property. And if there's going to be a fight over the dog or the pet, uh, then it's going to be, unless the parties can come up to some agreement, it might go to the highest bidder. It's not necessarily who the dog likes or who fed the dog more or that kind of thing. It's, you know, because it's property, um, there, there can be a bidding war for the pet. Most of the time, I will say, though, that at least in my experience, and Adam, you can chime in if you have anything different uh, to go from, but usually when I, I kind of uh, coach it, pun intended, in those terms, uh, people will want to work it out between themselves rather than risk never seeing their pet again. And so they come up with all sorts of arrangements if there's, you know, the dogs travel maybe with the children or um, they have a specific schedule for the pets like they might with children and they share costs and that sort of thing. So it, it does come up uh, quite frequently. And, and thankfully, it's a sign that, you know, folks consider their pet a member of their family, even if Wisconsin law doesn't. Yeah, Adam, I'll, I'll switch it to you. Do you agree with what Kelly said here? What's been your experience? Yeah, really similar to what Kelly said. I've had judges, when people can't agree, I've had judges just say, um, the pet is going to follow the kids. So if parents have equally shared placement of their children, I've seen courts just order that 
even though it, the pet is quote unquote property, that that property is going to go back and forth with the children because I think in in that case, one of the cases I'm thinking of in particular, the parents, one thing they could agree on was that the dog's most important or the, the dog's was really important to the kids. So I've seen them go back and forth. I've also seen a judge say, look, this is going to be considered property. I'm not going to get into what it's worth because how could you put a value on that? So I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk out of this room and I'm going to give you guys 10 minutes. And if you can't come up with an agreement, I'm going to flip a coin. Wow. And the par- the, the person who wins the to- coin toss is the person who gets the dog. Wow. It comes down to a so coin flip. Did- wow. We could. It, and it yeah. does. And, and I, yeah, I've had that too. And, and if you think about it, people, I mean, if I, if that was me, uh, I wouldn't want to risk never seeing my dogs again. And so people do come up with an arrangement and, and really if the judge decides something rather than the people or the, the parties deciding it, it's, it's less favorable. So if you can kind of determine your own destiny, um, I think people can at least accept that a little bit better too. And I would imagine that emotions, you know, very high in these cases because it's compared to a couch, but it certainly is not a couch. We do not have, you know, the emotional connections to a couch, I would, I would assume, that we do to a, a pet. So I can imagine this would be a very, very uh, emotional and, and sometimes sensitive situation for, for couples. Yeah, it is. And, and I had a, a recent situation um, where one of the pets passed away and that pet was cremated and there was an agreement between the parties that the pet's ashes would be shared as well. And so that's highly emotional and a, a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. It's a good place to take a pause, but a reminder that our phone lines are open. 281-1150 is the number. If you've got a question regarding pets and family law, chime in. We'll bring you on with the attorneys. And we're going to take a pause. We'll be back, though, with much more of Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm right after this. Welcome back to Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm on WHBY. We're joined by attorneys Adam Bernander and Kelly Kelly today talking family law and pets. Good afternoon and welcome back to you both. So we've been Hello, we're still here. We're still here. We're still enjoying the beautiful <laughs> weather outside. And I kind of want to switch gears when it comes to pets and maybe talk about maybe some some bigger animals. And I'm curious, Kelly. I know we've kind of been referring to maybe pets in regards to dogs or cats, but what happens sometimes maybe when when the pets or the animals are part of the property? I'm thinking maybe uh, horses or or cattle. Do those situations ever yeah. come up in regards to to family law? They do, and with horses and and Adam again chime in uh, with horses horses more so are in the pet genre. Uh, Cattle would be more in the business or farming area. And so we will have, you know, if there's, if, unless it's maybe a a little hobby farm where there's, you know, a couple goats and a couple pigs, that kind of thing. 
Um, and there may be some value to to that as far as business operation, but otherwise they might just be, you know, pets or, you know, some sort of property type thing. Um, horses, horses are interesting and, and I don't have a lot of experience with pet versions of cows or anything else like that as far as how it's divided between the parties or, or sort of fought over. But horses, I've had uh, cases where there are horses and horses are, I mean, dogs are expensive. Adam just <laughs> acquired one, so he knows. Uh, horses are, you know, depending on the, the, the lines and the type, I mean, those are, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And so that is far beyond my expertise. And, and I've had cases where I've had to talk to folks that are, you know, horse experts as far as the type of horse, because one party thinks it's, you know, of little value because they want to keep it monetarily little value, but, you know, sentimental as their pet. And then the other party thinks that that horse is worth, you know, a, a ton of money. And so we have to figure that out and give the best information to the judge. So that gets it, that does get pretty interesting. Adam, have any experience thing, on your end? Yeah. Too, oh, sorry, go ahead. Just um, go ahead. Yeah, I would, I would. I would parrot what Kelly said about horses in that they can be very, very, very expensive, and they can also be really expensive to, I'm making air quotes here, but to maintain. So you could have a boarding expense with food and everything else that goes into it for five, six, seven hundred $700 a month. So, you know, the person who's taking possession of it might want the value of it to be low because they know they're going to have a pretty high maintenance cost going forward. So. That's a great point. And and one other thing, too, related to pets or horses or whatnot um, is whether or not they're they're breeding. Um, You know, I've had cases where there's maybe a a certain type of dog or uh, or a horse that is used for breeding purposes. And then there's the question, is that worth more because of the potential income? And that can get pretty interesting, too. All these things that you just never would think of until you're actually dealing with it. Right, right. And how does one even bring that up, you know, to <laughs> is the animal, you know, how do you put, a, a, I guess, a level or a layer of, you know, how beloved is this animal and where does it fit in the grand scheme yeah. of things? I would imagine things can get very complicated. They can. They, they can. It, it, it is interesting. And, and then, like I said, a lot of times, Thankfully, it gets back down to what the actual parties want to do with their pet. Uh, you know, dogs certainly is, is a little bit easier to transport back and forth than a horse is. Um, right. But there's been all sorts of arrangements made with people. Adam, when it comes to, you know, the pets, maybe the parties cannot come to a decision on, on who gets the pet the majority of the time. Does visitation ever happen for animals? Do, do clients ever have to adhere to a specific schedule? in going back and forth with an animal? Um, Because they're qualified as property, I've never seen a court order that against someone's wishes. Now, I've seen parties agree to it, and then the court will typically adopt that agreement as part of their order. But because it is property, typically I've seen the judges just award it to one person. Um, But if parties do come to an agreement and then it becomes part of the court order, then, you know, it's certainly enforceable like any other court order. 
We're talking all, all about pets today and family law. And I have one more question here because I know that, you know, pets are sometimes seen as children. But what if, you know, they're not the only kids in the home? There's actual kids in the home. Does that sometimes complicate things, too? Maybe if children are involved in, in visitation and, and, and pets are brought into the mix, too. It certainly it does can. I, that's actually, I take back. Go ahead, Adam. Go ahead, Kelly. Adam, why don't you start? Go ahead. I have seen courts say that they are awarding the property um, to one parent or the other, the quote-unquote property being the pet, but that that property is going to follow the child back and forth for their placement. So it's not necessarily the court ordering that both parties have visitation with the pet, but the practical effect of it is that they would because the pet is going to follow the kids back and forth for the placement. So I have seen that. Kelly, you were going to add? Yep. No, I, I agree with that. And and if, let's say, the children each had their own bicycle, you know, you might not need two bikes. And so if the kid wants the bike at one parent's house or the other parent's house, that kind of can go back and forth. And it really, you know, if the parties can get along well enough to facilitate sharing of the dog and the expenses because, you know, let's say the dog needs surgery or special food because it has allergies or that kind of thing. And now it's, you know, financial obligation. There needs to be discussions on how best to treat the dog. There, there can be some complications there. Um, but I agree with Adam. Sometimes it just is boils down to where the kids are, the pet is. And I'm, I am curious, we're talking about this, you know, pretty fluidly, but how often do pets come up in these proceedings? Is it a pretty frequent thing to see when it comes to family law, Adam? Um. Defined frequent. <laughs> That's <a lawyer> <laughs> Out of 10 uh, cases, maybe. W- How many? Yeah. Uh, 0. 0.5. I, I think a lot of times people would say, you know, they would want something in an agreement, but they have already worked it out. I've, I, I wouldn't say that it gets to the point where we're actually fighting about it in court very often, or at least my experience has, has been that it's not that frequent. Um, Kelly, would you agree? I agree. Yep, I would agree. I mean, because Adam and I are family law practitioners and that's really all we do, there's probably not many subjects you could bring up that we haven't had experience in parties litigating. And so while we may sound like this happens all the time, thankfully, he's absolutely right. It doesn't happen as often as we're making it sound. And it seems like, and we've we've had this conversation before, but if if the parties can come to an agreement uh, before, you know, you need to get too involved into things, that's ultimately uh, the best possible outcome. Especially with pets, yes, I would say. I agree with that. All right. Well, we are... In our episode of Law Talk with Herling Clark Law Firm, we've got a full half an hour to go here on WHBY, and we're going to switch gears in our second half hour to paternity and how that is applied to family law. So stick around. We've got more of Law Talk with Herling Clark Law Firm on the way right here on WHBY Real Local Radio. And welcome in to another half hour of Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm. I'm Haley Tenpass. The focus today is family law, and we are joined by Adam Bernander. Hello, Adam. Hello. 
and Kelly Kelly today. Hi, Kelly. Welcome back. Hi. So we're talking now paternity cases, and I the first thing when I hear paternity is sadly old episodes of I think Maury. Uh, you are not the father uh, comes to mind <laughs> when I think of paternity, but I'm sure there are there's much more than just a television show can tell you. So I want to start really quickly with defining what paternity cases in family law mean. So Adam, when it comes to paternity, what's the definition here? What are you covering? Uh, sure, yeah, it's, it's when two people are not married and they have a child together, when we're talking about paternity cases, it's determining who is the legal father of that child. All right, so it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. All right, so Adam, so, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing. Okay, all right. Well, I know, Adam, that you do have a little bit of experience in, in the paternity world. Uh, you were the, um, the managing attorney for the child support agency in Brown County for a bit. What did that entail? Um, the, correct. Yeah, so, I mean, with respect to what the child support agency did, so just from a, just generally speaking, if a person was, a mother was receiving some sort of benefit on behalf of the child, some sort of state benefit, then the child support agency would get a referral from the um, economic support office, basically asking the state, i.e. the child support agency, to file a court case and ask for a legal determination on who the father of that child was, with the thought being, if there's a father determined, then that father could potentially help support the child and then lessen the need for state assistance. So, um, so a lot of what I did as the child support attorney in Brown County was deal with those paternity cases. All right. So my question first here is, is who determines if a paternity case is needed? Is it the mother? Is it the father? Could it be either? Is it an, a third party? Who determines, Kelly? Well, it depends on the circumstances. There are folks that have children together that have not ever been married and they are either together for the child's entire minority and they never file for a court case, they never have benefits, and so they're not anything with the system, so to speak. There are people that have children together and then they're no longer together as a couple, but they're able to navigate their their day-to-day circumstances for their child or children without needing court intervention. Um, We find out about paternity cases when, like Adam said, somebody has applied for services or benefits and then the county pursues that. And so then uh, that parent has to follow up with the court case. And sometimes they'll call us and say, you know, what's going on here? And we help them navigate through whatever it is that they're working through. You really, I mean, with a divorce, it's either, you know, you're married or you're not. In a paternity case, there's a lot of different versions because sometimes like I said, people are sail off into the sunset and we know we don't know anything about what they did custody or placement or who paid for what because they didn't need legal intervention. Interesting. Very interesting. What rights does a father have once paternity is established, Kelly? It depends on what the court order is. So whether the if, if the parent, if the father is Um, the biological father is determined to be the legal parent, then 
There can be custody, which is legal decision-making. There is placement, which is the visitation schedule. Um, there's child support. There is health insurance, health care benefits, tax issues, expenses. All of those different topics are addressed. And so it depends on whether the parties can agree on something or if they need court intervention to go through that process. But ultimately, if there is a paternity case, there would be a paternity order, a judgment, and then maybe some subsequent orders that would identify what each parent is allowed to do and not allowed to do. I'm wondering what the time frame on a case like this would be, Adam. Any any uh, window of time you're able to give to this, or can it vary? It certainly can vary. Um, in addition to the court process, when parties are, like, let's say that two people go into the hospital together, which I know is slightly different now with COVID rules, but before COVID, you know, mother and father are not married, go to the hospital, have a baby they're most of the time presented with a form that would allow the person who is there with the mom to sign a document. It's called the Voluntary Paternity Acknowledgement, which would basically, I mean, it's a legal document saying, I'm admitting and accepting responsibility that I'm the father of this child. Once that is signed and filed with the court, there's a small window of time when you can withdraw it. But Assuming that it isn't withdrawn, then that person could be determined to be the legal father right then and there. But if that isn't done, it kind of depends on the situation because if someone isn't receiving benefits but then does begin receiving benefits when the child is two or three, then there would be a referral to the child support agency and in all likelihood they would file a case. So it could be three years after the child was born. It could be five years, it could be seven, eight, ten years. Um, once the case is actually filed, I would say their, their first hearing is probably held within six weeks to two months. Um, and it could last up to a year if there's a lot of disputes about things like custody and placement that uh, Kelly was talking about. Interesting. And so a, a paternity case can be uh, called for at any any time in, in the child's you know childhood. It could be at age 13, could be at age, you know, two months. Is that correct? Yes. And I've actually yeah. had cases yep. where. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, once the child ahead, is Kelly. born, we, we do get calls um, when uh, a woman finds out that she's pregnant and maybe is not with the, the biological father at the time and, you know, wants to talk about how to go through things or vice versa. And when the child isn't born, we just have to wait until the child's born to really pursue, uh, the you know, the paternity process. So, yes, from this, when the child is born until the child is 18 and has graduated from high school, that's really the range there. And, and it's important to note that with very, very, very few exceptions, and, and maybe Adam has seen more exceptions to this than I have, Paternity matters are not retroactive. And so if you wait until the child is 12 and say, you know what, Adam Bernander is my child's father, and and I'm just teasing Adam, um, that Adam is my child's father and I want back child support for the last 12 years and I want back payment for health care expenses and whatnot, that isn't going to happen. It's, it's The law doesn't look at things retroactively, too. So that's important to note because people do call and inquire about the prospect of, of getting reimbursed for all those years where they didn't receive 
support or, or compensation for, you know, whatever it might be. Hmm. And Adam, you were going to refer to a, to a case? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say kind of dovetailing off of what one of Kelly's examples when she said sometimes people completely agree on everything, so there never needs to be a paternity adjudication or any sort of court case. I've seen cases where people will be totally in agreement for five or six years, but then an argument happens, people fall out of agreement, and then typically, you know, in that situation, the law would say that the mother has all the rights if there isn't any paternity adjudication. So then oftentimes it could be contacted by the person who was alleging he is the father of the child saying, hey, I've been essentially dad to this child for five years, but now because his mom and I don't agree, well, now I need a case to be filed. So it could be filed then. Do both uh, do 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 both uh, a potential father and the mother need to agree for a paternity test to be done, Kelly? No. If one of the parents requests the test, or or if the if the alleged father says there's no way that that's my child, and the mother says yes, there is, then there can be a DNA test uh, compelled. And I've had cases, and I'm sure Adam, having far more experience in that than I have you've had this too, where the DNA test comes back as that is not the parent. And and then all of a sudden you have someone that for a number of years, perhaps, believes that they are the father of a child or children, and they turn out not to be biologically, that, that poses a whole other set of issues as far as how does the relationship between that person and that child continue what's best for that child. And, and that can get um, quite interesting as well. Seems like things can get very complicated in the world of paternity and family law. And Kelly and Adam are here to talk about it all with us. We're going to take a pause here. But when we come back, more paternity law talk on Law Talk here on WHBY. Back with more Law Talk today on WHBY. Attorneys Kelly Kelly and Adam Bernander joining us today to talk all about family law. And we're talking paternity cases today. And I, we were just kind of talking about how, you know, fathers can request paternity. Anyone else out there who can request paternity? Does it have to be a parent that requests paternity, Adam? Oh, well, the only other person that I am aware of that can do it is um, an attorney acting on behalf of the state through the child support agency. Okay. All right. That was an easy answer to my question. Fantastic. (laughs) I might be maybe reading too many mystery books here, but I have another kind of silly question to ask. Can people, can a parent ever keep the paternity, the true paternity of a child uh, secret? This sounds more like maybe a soap opera, but can can the secret, can the paternity of a child ever be kept a secret from that child, Kelly? I cannot, and I appreciate that, uh, you know, that you're, you're reading too much or watching too much. I, I tell folks all the time that, unfortunately, the actual practice of law is nothing like it is on TV, as I'm sure the same is with medicine <laughs> and, and everything else. Um, I'm not aware of any circumstance. Um, I mentioned earlier that, and I'm thinking of a, a case that I had fairly recently where the child is maybe eight or nine, thought that, you know, person 
A was was her father and found out that it wasn't through DNA and it was sort of an interesting backstory. But um, I don't think and, and and then mom didn't the biological mom didn't have another person who was the father couldn't give us another name or come up with somebody else. Um, and so the child just doesn't won't know. But in that case, they, we agreed to allow the person who thought they were the dad for a long time to continue to have a relationship with the child. So this child maybe at some point would find out um, of the true nature of, uh, you know, the genetic component of that. But I don't know of any reason. I mean, there's certainly in the statute we talk about not having custody or placement rights because of, you know, mm-hmm. different parenting abilities or, or behaviors, that sort of thing. But I don't know if there's any way to absolutely say, nope, you will, will not tell anybody who the father of this child is. Adam, have you ever had anything like that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain for an example, but I can't think of one, no. Just a curiosity, and I've got one maybe more dramatic situation to toss your way here. What if a father uh, refuses to take a paternity test, refuses to take one? What happens there? Adam, we'll let you start with that one. Um, well, that's certainly an issue. Um, you know, <laughs> well, if someone is refusing to do it, um, the first step would be you get a court order, you know, essentially ordering that person to do it. If that still doesn't compel the person to comply with the court order, you could ask the court to find that person in contempt of court for violating the court order. If the court grants that motion and finds the person in contempt, and if they still then don't comply and provide their DNA for the test, the court could hold the person in jail for up to six months. So normally that's going to get a person to do it. Um, The situation that I've seen more frequently than someone just blatantly saying, I'm not going to do that, is they disappear. So move across the country. Had people move back to countries where they were from before. Um, you know, I had someone who was here from Western Europe um, in college and just disappeared and just went back to wherever they were from. So interesting. And then you again, know, I, go ahead, Kelly. Kaylee, I'm thinking of an example where you know you watch, and now, now I'm mixing like the crime shows with with law, but. <laughs> where if they refuse to take the DNA test, is there some, and I, I think the answer is no, but maybe you've had this, Adam, working for the, the county. Can, can you take, you know, the soda can from the person and do a DNA test and determine that, you know, they're the parent? Is that just too much TV-ish? I think it's probably possible. I'm certainly not a scientist. I think it's probably possible, but I don't think that you could have, I don't think you could prove uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think you could prove it with their DNA, without a because of the collection of and the tracing ownership. of the yeah. process. Yeah, Kelly, yeah. we were th- like- we were thinking along the same lines. I was going to ask if like an envelope that had been licked could be turned in, or if they plucked a hair from a hat or something. So I was thinking the right. same thing, Kelly. Maybe somebody would be like <laughs> right. holding a thing, a silly putty or something, right. and you could get it from that. I don't know. We've watched a lot of Netflix this year, so you never know. Uh, I want to kind of wind this down here. And I know there probably are a lot of, you know, benefits to establishing paternity. What might those benefits be in in Wisconsin to establishing paternity? Kelly, I'll give that one to you. 
Well, you know, in, in the benefit for a child is that the child has two legal parents, and while one parent is great, two parents is even better. Um, that's two parents that are legally obligated to take care of the child, to support the child. The child can inherit from those, those you know, both parents. And so um, let's say a parent, you know, a mom, um, decides, I don't want to have a paternity established. I don't ever want, you know, the, the biological dad to know that he's a dad or have rights. And gosh sakes, the mom is trying to think of some really ridiculous, you know, abducted by aliens, although maybe that does happen. Um, then what? What happens to this child? Because the child would not have another legal parent to be able to take care of the child. And so it's a benefit for the child or children to have two legal parents. Um, it's benefit, you know, for the parents to know, I think, just biologically what's gone on for them, um, you know, their rights and obligations to be a parent and, you know, take the good with the bad. Adam, anything to add to that? No, I agree. And I, I think just from a completely practical standpoint, it would help, like Kelly said, to know a person's family health history. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great point. Um, and a lot of questions answered in the world of paternity. It's it's much more complicated than I than I had understood. I'm, I'm glad that we have you two to kind of explain things to us and to the listeners here of Law Talk. And I'm also wanting to make sure people know how to get in touch with with uh, Law Talk, uh, with the attorneys from Law Talk, of course. Before we jump to that, Kelly and Adam, anything you can think to add on the topic of paternity before we wrap up here? I can't think of anything no, else I mean, to I add, could, although now now my mind is going to all sorts of different scenarios that, that I've experienced. But you can tell just in these few topics that we've talked about today and in other shows with other lawyers that it really is important to um, know your stuff. I mean, within paternity, you can see the complexities. And, and while some of these things don't happen every single day, you want an attorney that knows um, you know, that can, can navigate through those different issues. And so at our office, we do uh, all typically specialize in one area of the law to be able to give our, our clients the maximum amount of uh, legal expertise. Adam, how can they get in touch with, with yourself or the other attorneys at, at, law, at Herling Clark Law Firm? I mean, I think the easiest way is to simply call the firm. That number is 920-739-7366. Also, if you go to our firm's website or Facebook, Instagram, other social media, um, there's links through all those sites to contact us via email as well. All right. We've covered a lot today, a lot of bases from pets to paternity, all in the world of family law. Attorney Adam Berneter and Kelly Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today to, to break it all down. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. My pleasure. All right. That is it for this episode of Law Talk with Harling Clark Law Firm. We have more Focus Fox Valley, though, on the way on WHBY. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.